This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaz, welcoming in Chris Anderson, Chris all the fun of back-to-back wins for fans and for you and me ended, I don't know, earlier than probably the final gun on Saturday. And not surprisingly, pretty one-sided, pretty disappointing and or discouraging loss against Oklahoma State. It really loaded up the mailbag here, didn't it? Sure did. I <laughs> I think we made a joke after the the win over TCU that nobody liked to ask questions when they won because I think uh, for a couple of the losses we've had a hundred plus questions come in, and and then after the wins it's twenty five, maybe uh, we're back over over fifty I think this time around a bunch of you know obviously I don't know if it's fifty posts but people asking multiple questions in a post uh, getting some lengthy questions which is always. Uh, accompanied with a loss so yeah i mean it, and I, i'm not trying to poke fun of the fans uh, when you when you lose you want to know why and that's where the questions come in so that's what we're here for is to answer them well when you win you want to know why too like <laughs> who drew up this game plan and who called these plays and that's pretty much a similar conversation that we've had after the game too because again that offensive game plan was not very inspiring the changes within the game, I don't know, maybe not inspiring, but also maybe non-existent. Just a, a really curious performance. And then some of the people I always talk to after wins or losses, I don't talk to them all the time, but they check in just to see how things are going or sometimes I told you so. And there was obviously a little bit of fool's gold hinted at after that TCU game because it had a week off. It was really like the moment where Brown had to get it together or else you lose that TCU game. And you're staring at Iowa State and Oklahoma State back to back, and then, you know, geez, four and seven, that or two and seven, that'd be pretty bad. So, got to get one there, and they did. But some of the the feedback of that from that game was that just maybe don't believe all of this because there were some warts there that were hidden, or they were able to hide from because of the way they were able to play offense, and just because of how bad TCU's defense was against the run. That woke up West Virginia's offense. And then whatever changes, streamlining, I don't know, just improving that happened in that open week, it was really kind of geared toward getting that game, and it happened. I think what has people confused is not what happened there. What happened against Iowa State? How did they find their way to 38 points against a a pretty stingy defense because they faced another pretty stingy defense on Saturday and ended up with three. So maybe Iowa State's not that good. But then you see Iowa State go around and kind of put the clamps on Texas. And you're kind of just sitting here scratching your head saying, I don't know what to make of this team or this season right now, never mind the final three games, which are going to be pretty, I don't know, conducive, I think, to West Virginia's strengths and weaknesses, weaknesses on offense. We can talk about that. But this, this is this kind of a, um, uh, um, a moment where you look at what's happening and you're trying to explain the present based on your not-too-distant past. And you see really good performance against a not-good defense, 
a really, really good performance against a good defense and then just kind of a miserable performance against a great defense. Do you see, I don't know, any any explanation out there apart from, hey, college kids, they're volatile, or or could there be something to the don't put too much stock into that TCU game theory, which does make sense, but then you watch what happened against Iowa State, and then maybe it doesn't make sense. No, that I'm I'm 100% in agreement with that because I, that TCU game, West Virginia won that, and I think even after the game, both you and I were like, "Hey, look, don't don't get too excited about the offense." Like, I think I was kind of impressed by what they did on defense because I thought TCU's offense is good, TCU's defense is bad, um, and so to see them score points and win, beat TCU, that didn't shock me. Um, but again, the Iowa State game that just completely floored me. I, I thought it would be a 21-17 type of game. Maybe West Virginia gets a couple turnovers and gets lucky and gets a win. And instead, it's a shootout where West Virginia really, you know, other than a, if, if they don't screw up a couple times, they're winning by two touchdowns, 17 points maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that really did throw me off. I honestly, to see that performance and then follow it with this performance, I, I, you guys heard me in the post game pod. I was like, I don't even know what to do at quarterback. I don't know. I, I usually have answers. I don't know if they're always the right answers, but this time I wasn't even sure what to say there because that just perplexed me. And I don't know how much of that is the college kids thing. I mean, we've been seeing it all over the place for God's sakes. That TCU Baylor game, I think, made made me go broke. I don't know about. I, mean, I think it made a lot of other people go broke too because that was a perfect perfect game for. Baylor, who all of a sudden decided they wanted to throw the ball a bunch, and and, and screw that yeah. game up, and and you you know and you saw TCU, who lost their entire coaching or their coach for the last two decades, uh, leave suddenly, out of nowhere, and they change their quarterback, lose have a couple other guys injured, and they come out and and beat Baylor. So maybe it's college kids. Um, Maybe it's a bad matchup. I know that's what uh, some people would like you to believe, but um, right now I'm chalking it up to college kids, and it's one of those things. It's like, do we wait and see what happens this week, and then maybe we have an idea of what it is? Yeah. Here we go again where does the schedule work out for West Virginia? This this was kind of a quizzical thought, but when they hit that open week, I, I did believe, and I think others probably did too. I'm not taking sole credit for this, but I kind of thought going on the road was good for West Virginia because if that wasn't going to wake him up and get him out of it coming out of an open week, go to a place where you've won, beat a team you haven't lost to, get your running game going against a bad run offense or run defense, then see where things go. It happened. They won two in a row. So I think that worked out. If you look at the defenses that are coming up, really bad defenses. And the things that West Virginia struggles against, these defenses do not succeed with. And where these defenses struggle is where West Virginia wants to excel. So sieve rush defense, high completion percentage, low sack rate for all of these three teams coming up, Kansas State, Texas, and Kansas. Kansas State is the best of the three and is getting better if you look at their performances, which is not surprising. They've won three in a row. They're getting healthy, but that's mostly on offense. Their defense is starting to figure some things out too, and you also get the Kansas effect. They play Kansas before they play West Virginia, similar to Oklahoma State and then Texas coming up, so what type of a variable is that? But if Oklahoma State's a bad matchup, and it is, and it just has a way of squeezing West Virginia's offense, which it did, I'm not sure that these other defenses can mimic that. They may want to. It's a copycat sport, I understand, but the personnel matters a lot. 
the experience matters a lot. The talents matters a lot. You could coach the players to do certain things. They can't do it the exact same as the player in the shoulder pads and helmet for Oklahoma State. So I'm not even sure you should be too worried about having a repeat offensive performance. The trouble is how much of a shell has West Virginia reverted into and then what bad habits have turned, what trigger shy stuff has happened to coaches or players. I don't know. And then, you know, what happens if, if a team just has a good defensive day at home and West Virginia's offense doesn't show up on the road? It could be very interesting here. But if you look at the defenses coming up, if we talk about matchups, you can't say these are bad matchups. The personnel for Texas is scary, but everybody's put up big numbers against Texas's defense. And there's some, again, there's some some red flag stuff there going on. But that's a home game, too. And then Kansas State, a road game, you've beaten them twice, you've won there. It's similar to TCU before. Their defense is the best of the three, but it's not great, and and it doesn't play in a way that really opposes what WVU wants to do. So, I mean, I hate to say it's a two-game season, but it really is, and, and I just don't know how much you revert to expectations before the Oklahoma State game because of the Oklahoma State game. I'm with you. I think you know the, this Iowa State and this Oklahoma State defenses, if you look at the statistics here in the conference, they are – so far ahead of everyone else. I mean, West Virginia, Kansas State and West Virginia are third and fourth, and Baylor is fifth. Right here in this group of giving up about 340 to 360 yards. And then Oklahoma State, 270. Uh, Iowa State, 280. I mean, that is that is a large chunk ahead of where Kansas State and West Virginia and Baylor are. And you think West Virginia's defense, you think they're pretty darn good. Uh, again, Kansas State, okay on defense. Um, they've given up some points, as you noted. I think it's 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 gotten better, but they also have games against Stanford and Southern Illinois that they really kind of fall back on as far as their defense goes. And uh, you know, getting to play Kansas already, uh, quite frankly, is always helpful to those defensive numbers. But they've given up 33 points to Iowa State. They gave up 31 to Oklahoma State. And again, we've seen that Oklahoma State and Iowa State or I would not Iowa State, but Oklahoma State is not a great offense. And for them to get 31 points and add almost 500 yards, um, they can be exploited on that side of the ball. How do you feel about six-point spread at Kansas State? Shoo. Um, I'm surprised. Twice as big as I thought, but six and three. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking, you know, hey, they they beat the crap out of TCU two weeks ago. Um, but man, this is not like I mean, they've this is I think this is how I put it in my power rankings was they have beat all the teams that they think they can beat and they lost to all the teams they were supposed to lose to. And again, Kansas State fans may take an objection to that, you know, take that personal. They shouldn't because no one else in the league has can say that, basically, except for Oklahoma, maybe Oklahoma State, because um, I think everybody in this league has at least one loss where they thought they were going to win. And I'm not sure that's the case with Kansas State. I mean, their three losses are at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma and Iowa State, and they've beaten everybody else like they, they thought they could and they should. And that's why they're six and three. Yeah. Here we go, though. I mean, final month, and teams figure themselves out, and it doesn't mean it has to be positive, too. So they they could be going in the right direction. They've had a lot of – we can get into this later in the week, but they've had a lot of roster issues in the past you know, season and a half, and, and it's taken them a while to get their footing, and they've kind of played their brand. Having your quarterback healthy and under center for a couple of games in a row really helps. And then 
Well, let's just get to it. We'll talk about quarterbacks a lot here, I'm sure. Um, seems to be the topic du jour, so we might as well open things up here with uh, uh, some questions about the quarterback. As always, questions from subscribers, answers from Chris and me. And then what we don't get to today, Chris will finish up with a written version of the mailbag day after. See how it goes uh, with the questions that we get to. I know where we're going. We might as well start there, right? Are we starting quarterback? I don't know how we don't, right? Right. Uh, well, let, we got we got a two-parter here because it's not really a two-parter, but it's well, maybe mo- more than two-parters. But let's start with this one because I think it's going to lead into the other questions from Preston Preston County. Let's say West Virginia takes close losses against Kansas State and Texas. Who starts at quarterback against Kansas? Again, to, to make clear what he's the situation he's presenting here. It's good games, decent games, close games, but West Virginia is out of bowl eligibility. They are not going to be eligible for the postseason going into that game against Kansas in the final week. Who do you start, Mike? Yeah, so here's this is where this kind of develops layers right away. If you're four and seven going into your 12th game, you can't make a bowl. You can, but you have to have all sorts of academic plaudits. you got to be a high top of the list, and that's not going to be WVU here. So, not because the academics don't work for them, but they're just not high enough in that list. The APR and all that stuff. So, don't even worry about that. They're not 6-6, six and six, they're not bowling. Barring something extremely unlikely. So, you're pulling the plug on the season. And Daigie, which indicate that he's not going to be back. If you're not going to let him play that 12th game, you kind of said, here's your gold watch. And that's it, which would answer the question as to whether or not he comes back next year, because as we well know, he can't come back next year. So that already starts your succession plan, so to speak. If they do that, all the indications are they would start Will Crowder, right? You're going right to it. I don't, I mean, it just I seems so, like yeah. it. I mean, if not, he would play a bunch. Maybe they would, maybe they would, you know, give Garrett Green the the helmet sticker so to speak by letting him start a game but i don't know everything i read on our board and everything i've been telling pe- people have been telling me is not that they've seen this but that they've heard the coaches rave about will crowder and i don't know if this is again what they were asked about or what they talked about but that's come up a lot and you hear all sorts of superlatives about how he's developed more than anybody else and that they've you know worked with in the first 10 months on campus all these things about it well well, why wouldn't you put that product in the field in a game that legitimately doesn't matter? Unless you're just talking in circles again, and that's not the reality that is being witnessed or produced in practice, and you go out there and you just run Daigie out there and put Garrett Green in for a couple of series. I think people should be mad if they're 4-7 and seven and they just see the same thing in the 12th game they saw in the first 11. I would say that. Absolutely. You, you cannot, you cannot, if you're 4-7, and seven, you cannot go out with the same quarterback same yeah i think you should make some few changes just try some things out i mean that's that it would be the point of the game uh, is to basically get a head start on the offseason and and next year and i'm with you i think it would be a situation where maybe you start green but it would be almost a 50 50 split between him and will crowder for that game to kind of just see where they're at i mean that would be Kind of an unceremonious end for Jarrett Dagey, but this is 
trying to think of how to say this because it did you know all the coaching staffs and everybody they, they preach relationships and building relationships with these guys and they do they really do and that's why i think a lot of these decisions are so tough but ultimately this comes down to winning football games and building a program and worrying about hurting someone's feelings in, in, in a in a meaningless game cannot be at the top of your list in this situation. It is it is developing your program and finding who's going to be your quarterback for next year. Um, and so I think – I'm with you. I think they would start green, but almost 50-50 split with Will Crowder. There's no bowl either, and that that's your bowl game. Like you don't get those developmental practices, and I think the concept of bowl practices is kind of overrated. You don't get 15 of them. You get, you know, six, eight, nine. And a lot of that is to spend on giving guys who don't get a lot of time a chance to play in practice, like extended. So you have a chance to say, all right, we're going to get this guy in for a couple series or a couple snaps, or we're going to play him here more than ever before. But you're not going to have that opportunity to audition and then put those ideas into playing a bowl. So that becomes your bowl, which means that that week before you make a lot of changes in practice. So you, I would think that if you're going to do it, you're going to do something severe and drastic. And again, why wouldn't you? Because if you've gotten to the point where even a game against Kansas doesn't matter to the fate of your season. What are you doing? Who cares if you beat, who cares if you win against Kansas with what you have or if you lose against Kansas with what you haven't seen before? It, it, it doesn't matter. So treat it that way. Now that said, really? that said, if you go into the offseason four and eight and you lost to Kansas and and you messed around and played with your toys and, and got caught on the road, then that is extremely bad momentum for the offseason too. You can't ignore that because Coaching is a vanity project, and it's really the you're as good as your last game profession, the what have you done for me lately. Imagine 4-8 with a loss to Kansas going into the offseason. It would be the exact opposite of the 5-7 and seven first year where they won two of their last three games. Correct. I mean, I think, I think people actually forget that West Virginia was under 500 that year yeah. just because they won two of their last three. Mm-hmm. Um, related to that question and the conversation we're having about the end of the year, from Alaric, does WVU grab a quarterback from the portal for 2022? I do not know if they grab it because that's not up to West Virginia. Right. They absolutely go shopping. And they're, they're, they're sitting on the front hood of their Camaro outside the high school with the music playing because <laughs> they want people to see them. And it's our, like, they have to do it. They can't do this again. And like, honestly, even if Diggy decides to come back, that's a whole other conversation as to whether or not that's good for West Virginia or not. Because you could argue either way, but like you have to go out there. And then, whereas last year, we said that, yeah, I don't know, because you don't want to bring somebody in who's going to beat Daigie out or who, who, who can't beat Daigie out. You don't need a backup quarterback. I feel like that's the same this year, too. And you're going to have to go and you're going to have to get a guy who's, who will be your starter and who knows it. And it may just be for a brief period of time because Crowder, Nico Marchio, Garrett Green, they've been here. They have time. And then one of them might beat you out, too. But you, if you come into Morgantown, you better understand that the expectation is you beat out all three of those newcomers and or Jared Dagey, too. But, the, again, number two is the, big, <laughs> is the big thing. Can you beat out Jared Dagey? Is he going to be here to beat out? Can you beat him out? Because he's going to have a, a pretty big advantage. And we can say this about him, whatever you want to believe about his game performances, his seasons on campus. He must be a really good practice and offseason player because everything about him in the practices in the offseason has put him in a position to be the starting quarterback for so many games now. And what has it gotten him? It's gotten him a conversation like this in the middle of his fifth season as a starting quarterback where we're not sure if he's good 
good enough, good to have around, which is kind of a strange thing. So, yeah, the answer is yes. They have to go into it, and they have to try to get one. Will they land one? Don't know. Not up to them. And the other thing is, too, the portal, Chris, is, is like different than when you when you cover high school recruiting or junior college recruiting. You really don't know about who they're trying to get out of the portal most times because coaches try to keep that one more to the vest. It's kind of up to the players to put it out there, and they don't always do that, too. So they, they might try. We might not even know, correct? Right. It is It is because when you bring in a high school kid, um, you know, the other guys on the team, the other recruits, a lot of the times – most of the time, they just look and say, hey, I'm I'm better than that guy. When you bring in a transfer, that is a signal, that is a, a bright flashing light of, oh, I'm worried about this position. And it does, it, it sends a signal. If you are a quarterback in that room and they look at you at practice and say, yeah, I'm going to go find someone else. <laughs> That's not something you really like, you know, it's not great for the psyche. And so coaches aren't, you know, the schools aren't advertising that. I mean, they obviously they can't talk about any recruits, whether it's high school kids, you go or uh, traditional transfers, but it, it gets out and it's it, the players are more op, apt to, you know, oh, I'm going to visit this school and this school and this school. And here's my top three. Uh, one, the coaches don't want it out like that for transfers. And two, transfers are done with that recruiting stuff like that. They realize that a lot of that stuff is silly, like as far as the flaunting visits and flaunting top threes and changing it to a top five and then back to a different top three. So it's more of a business decision for them, and they take it that way and and don't really advertise it as much, and the schools and the coaches are just fine with that. I, I just can't Im- imagine a scenario in which they don't do it, though. But, I mean, do we need it? What we should have just done for this entire part right here was just clip the podcast from exactly a year ago where we said the same thing. They should have looked like, I mean, they did look last year, but as you noted, it ain't up to them. It, it, this is, this is, um, what is it like? Which way are we going to go here? Is a seller's market, I guess, like as far as real estate goes, like the, if you are a good quarterback and you entered the transfer portal, you can essentially pick your destination. Um, so it is not going to be up to WVU whether or not they get one. It's going to be up to who is in the portal and whether they want to come to WVU. And there's there's got to be a relationship, too, because that player has to trust the coaches that he's going to get a fair shake and maybe even preferential treatment. He's got to know the system because quite likely it's a limited time. It's not a person who's going to be here for three or four years. It's one, maybe two. And, and so a relationship. And then you have to have something you can sell them. If they're leaving a situation, and just if you look at some of these names in the portal you also look at like where they're coming from they're coming from lsu tennessee uh, florida state notre dame and again are those all great winning programs right now no but like they went there for a certain reason and they left and like has has west virginia which is kind of meddled around 500 for three seasons now is that a place that you got to be at it's a hard sell now you can do it but it's a lot easier if you know them too which which <laughs> Just looking at the name, which makes one name like super intriguing in the portal. I don't know if it'll happen, but like it just jumps out at you because of everything we talked about. Experience, moved around, knows the Big 12, knows Neil Brown. And you just wonder like, well, that, that'd be really easy, wouldn't it? Will it happen? I don't know. But that name is certainly right there. Go ahead. Say it. You don't have to, you don't have to beat around the bush. Charlie Brewer. <laughs> 
the problem with that is, I mean, didn't he literally just leave the team like midweek because he was upset about, I mean, I, was he getting benched? I just remember he left like literally like two days before a game. He quit. Yes. He walked out on the team by a quarterback who's again, a, a, a transfer as well. So again, that's how delicate this is, but he's a good player who's done okay stuff there for them. But Brewer came in thinking that he was going to be someone that could that could make it happen at that school, and, and he would ride out in the sunset. It didn't work. Now, granted, I, I would say this, too. One thing you can say about Brewer in his time, that dude's tough. Like, he's taken beatings, he's been on bad teams, and he just wants the right ending. You could maybe grant him that benefit of the doubt. Has he been a good player? That's another conversation. I don't know. That's probably open to interpretation, I would guess. But um, he just got beat out by uh, Cam Rising, who, again, a guy who moved around a little bit and um, I'm trying to think where he started his career. Was it Texas? It was Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and it's done well. Uh, let me punch up his numbers here. 12 touchdowns, two picks, 65% completion percentage. He's rushed for 300 yards, bunch of touchdowns. He, so he's good. He, he's fine. Utah, I don't know, kind of does what they always do, but you could, if you know Brewer, you may be able to explain or understand his decision better. And if you watched him play for all those years of Baylor, you understand that guy doesn't seem like a quitter. And if he just had that one year left and he had to go, I think he played three games and he only gets four. So the time he might have been the enemy there, maybe not the situation. I'm looking at the the current list of quarterbacks in the transfer portal. And you talked about relationships. Uh, two of them, both from Tennessee. Um, yeah. I get Harrison Bailey. He was offered by West Virginia, one of the first offers from this coaching staff as a quarterback. And the other was Brian Maher. Maher who was from Florida. Now, this was the previous coaching staff. He was ready to commit on the spot to West Virginia. Uh, had full story ready, had done a, a complete analysis with his coach uh, about his breaking down his commitment, and then was told, hold on, just a little bit longer. Uh, at the time, West Virginia was looking at Adrian Martinez. I think they really thought they had a legitimate shot to get him, um, you know, the current Nebraska quarterback. And... Uh, both of those guys ended up at Tennessee. Both of those guys are on their way out. Now, that's the relationship part of it. Well, well, Mars, uh, you know, that's that was the previous coaching staff, so I don't know if he has any relationship to this staff. But what about the definitely going to start and beat out Daggy part of that? I mean, both of those guys are leaving because they weren't going to be the starter at Tennessee. Yeah. Um and they brought in a transfer from Virginia Tech who beat him out. And that's yeah. how that's how tricky this is. So, so again, if you bring in if you bring in one of these guys, um, top name in the list, Miles Brennan. You bring in Miles Brennan right now, and he comes in. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. He just happens to be the first person on my list. Nope, uh, too late. Too late. It's out there. <laughs> when West Virginia signs Miles Brennan, um, you, you're you're probably losing one, maybe two quarterbacks. I mean, maybe not Marquio. Yeah. But like I mean, the other thing is too, like when this business happens, like I wonder if sometimes, why would you, if you're a quarterback especially, and you're good, why would you sign in December? Like if if the portal is such a thing right now and it it just directly impacts that quarterback position more than anything else, I really wonder why you would because so much can change between December and your enrollment, never mind December and and February too. So I guess if you're going to enroll in January, you have to sign in December. I get that. But if you're a a traditional high school recruit who's going to come in, in may june july heck i'm not even trust traditional anymore right they all come right. in january but if you're going to come in the summer especially that position i wonder if, if the if the portal has changed things so much that you would wait because 
all of a sudden there's a guy who's got three years of eligibility and he's coming in from a big time program to be your starter because there's an opening or a need in that position. That kind of changes the picture for you there too. It's a very involved conversation. Very. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's that way for all positions, but it just gets, it's just that much more meaningful at quarterback simply because there's only one that plays, you know, traditionally there's just one that plays. There's only one spot. And, uh, you know, obviously, we've seen the transfer portal really heat up in the last few years as far as quarterbacks go. And the the <clears throat> thing is, you, and you're seeing a lot of teams have success with it. So it, it you have to keep that door open. You have to search it. I would argue you have to search it every single year for that position. I mean, you should probably search every position in the transfer portal every year. But especially quarterback, you have to have your eyes on that at all times. Yes. And uh, I don't want to be a fire starter. I'm sure I'm talking about this recruiting thing. And when you sign, Mark Yeo is enrolling in January, correct? That is correct. Yes. That's the plan. So if he doesn't, if he doesn't, if he doesn't sign in December, then we can have a conversation. But the plan is for him to be here in December or in January. So right. now, I'm not alluding to that. I'm just saying at at large, you really have to think about this too. Also, man, FCS recruiting like that doesn't even factor into the portal. But there's going to be FCS quarterbacks who become available who you don't think much about, but that's a position where if you know the system and you can slide from one to the other and you've had success, you can play pretty well. And I think you're seeing that other positions and, and WVU has a couple of FCS players who've done all right, but that quarterback spot, it's just like people realize, wait a minute, can sling it, played 13 games, postseason, won a conference championship, whatever, great nuts, great numbers. Why can't you do that here? That That's something else too, because those players are extremely interested in moving on because Forget the luxuries about the FBS or the FCS. It's the exposure and the chance these guys to get onto a big stage and, and earn professional playing opportunities too. So that's I think that's a market that's expanding as well. It's funny you mentioned that because uh, one of the, the very first question was uh, from WVUG13 asking what the odds were that Daigie would be a GA with one year eligibility, like uh, Zeb Nolan down at South Carolina. And <laughs> I went I went looking to see what old Zeb had done this past week when South Carolina upset Florida only to find out that he did not start this game. And instead, a young man named Jason Brown started, which took me back because I said, that name is familiar, that face is familiar, that kid is from Virginia. And I saw him at West Virginia's camp several years ago. He wanted to come to West Virginia real bad, was not, and this was not a, you know, I'm not, oh, they didn't scout him correctly. It was not an FBS quarterback at the time, was not. And was considering a walk-on opportunity at WVU but instead went to St. Francis of Pennsylvania, FCS level, set school passing records, uh, was a FCS All-American one year, or honor, honorable uh, mention All-American one year, and entered the transfer portal, wanted to come to West Virginia out of the transfer portal. His coach reached out to me directly asking what the situation was up there at West Virginia. This was last winter, and they were looking at a spot and said they were reaching out to the coaching staff I never heard back on anything else. Sure enough, there he is, starting for South Carolina and beating Florida this past weekend. About that, that's a good story. Yeah, just kind of really random. Again, it's not no no bad scouts anywhere. No complaining about all oh, the West Virginia should have had that guy. Just a interesting little kind of wrapping around with the FCS talk and that first question in the in the mailbag there. Good job, um, Chris. <laughs> uh, also from WVG WVUG thirteen. This was semi related here. Since we're talking about transfer portals in the offseason, what are the positions the most need to be upgraded in the offseason? 
And is there somebody already on the roster that can do that for those positions? Um, uh, he, he specifically points out Bandit because brings up the fact that that's supposed to be a key spot. And West Virginia hasn't gotten consistent, I would say, uh, production there yet. No. The shorter answer is going to be what positions don't need an upgrade. Yes. Correct. You want to you go corner. at it that way? I mean, probably just corner, right? Because you're going to have Fortune, Woods, Porter. I mean, that's that's your core right there coming back. I'm trying to think. Andrew Wilson, Lamp, they kind of like. Um, Matthews, if you're going to consider him at that spot. I, mean, I guess he's going to play Spear, mostly. Yeah. So, I don't know if that needs an overhaul, but they're going to get players there. But just just go down. I mean, and co- running back's questionable. I'm not... I'm not just willing to give Tony Mathis the the job next year and just say that don't worry about it. He may be the, the number one candidate to be in the running back. I get that, but like I, I think that's a competition for sure. And I'm also not positive that you wouldn't bring in a transfer or you wouldn't give like, like would Jalen Anderson count? Would would the recruiting class count? I think that, that could certainly welcome additions there. So quarterback, yes. Running back, yes. Offensive line, heck yes. They're gonna go in the portal hard there. Receiver. Let's see how many of them come back. Choose to be here. And then, you know, what happens to younger guys and they develop. But what are they doing in the recruiting class to receive right now? They have is it one receiver? Is that right? Right. Um, two? There's they're still trying to get more for sure. Okay. Uh, so they're gonna they're have to do that. that's one of the few positions they're still heavily recruiting in the high school level. Yeah, and that probably isn't a great portal position unless they lose some players. But defensive line. It's trending in the right direction, but you wouldn't say no. Like they're definitely going to look for big bodies there. Linebacker, absolutely, absolutely, and safety, absolutely. So, I mean, we can go into special teams if you like. Do you want to go into special teams? No. no. So, anyways, my answer would be like the only one that doesn't probably need it would be corner. But man, if you could find a great corner, um, if it's like an early out junior college, or if it's a guy who who it clicks, you know him and coaches down in Kansas or Mississippi, or if it's a transfer. I think you would definitely welcome someone who could start and add to your depth there or who could play a third corner or who could do who could do like a really good Jackie Matthews impression, who could be Jackie Matthews and kind of give you a Swiss Army knife. So the only one that I wouldn't worry about, I would still even look at. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yeah, I'm with you. Again, this is you got to look everywhere every year. And I think that's why they're keeping a handful of spots open. Um, Neil Brown has openly talked about looking for DBs. I think he's specifically talking about safety for all the obvious reasons. And uh, I believe he mentioned defensive line as well. They, they always want to restock there. And even if they do have some good young talent, um, you really need to restock because you're going to lose a couple key starters. Um, a, the Going around on offense, offensive line, you're going to have all those guys back, but you, you, can you upgrade somewhere? And if you do upgrade, can you get them in in the spring so that you can kind of integrate them into that five-man group? Uh, I think that would be questions you have to ask yourself if you're looking for a grad transfer type immediate upgrade. And then receiver, I'm with you. Got to see what happens with those those backups, what their decisions are. 
Um, quarterback, we already talked about. Running back, hey, you, you know, you got a couple good young talents on the on the roster currently, but you just lost one to transfer. Um, the current running back in this class, Justin Williams, a uh, little bit up in the air. Um, he says he's still committed, but going on official visits to Michigan and Tennessee, if he elects to go somewhere else, and I'm not saying I've heard that. I don't. He he he, he expresses to me that he is still firmly committed. Um, but so take it for what you will. But if he's out and you have a bunch of young guys already in the room, do you then look at a transfer there at running back, especially with Letty Brown gone? And maybe you're a little unclear of who's going to be the man out of the young guys that you currently have on the roster. So, yeah, I think we just went through all the positions, 22 positions on the on the field and basically said yes to 20 of them and probably for the other two. And why not? Like, you can't make an argument against it either. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Going to the last three games, I thought this was a really good question from Schmalz08WVU. As a fan... What should we be looking for in these last three games to judge the state of the program? Is it solely wins and losses, or is it other things like body language? Great question. It's, it's like the ultimate use your eyes test. So yeah. wins and losses are going to matter. You can't, you cannot qualify this as progress if they're not in a bowl game. So that's that's like an easy line to draw there too. I would think too that. Some things you may already have answers to, and this is unfair, but also applicable too, like the quarterback situation too. Like you may have some of an answer already about what they think and what they know because you just haven't seen it really evolve or escalate from its inception point against Long Island. So three games is, is a small sample, but I think it's enough. So progress, if they start winning games, great. If they show up on the road, great. Conversely, they lose or they come out flat. That's good. That's not, that's a good indication that things are not pointing in the right direction. That's all pretty obvious stuff there too. I think a lot of the stuff that's attention to detail it, it, it matters. And when you look at coaches who are going to lose their job, or when you look at foundations that start to fumble, you see penalties. You see, you know, just things that are like hard to explain other other than just like they don't care or they've checked out. So watch out for, and again, this is not to, to harp on this, but just simple things like if they got to burn timeouts, if they're not organized getting on or off the field, if there's delay of games, if they don't show up early and they get boat raced, if teams just hammer them on one point again and again and again because players will not stand up and push back. They, you know, you can only make so many adjustments until your players have to enact that, that thought to make the change. So pushing back is important too competitiveness is important energy is important these are all things that are challenging across the season but are really valuable toward the end especially when you're at a point right now where your season go one of two directions which is different than early in the season because you can lose a game and still go 10 and 2 right you can lose two games and still go 10 and 2 but when you're at this point and you already got five losses and you can't lose more than one more and really really honestly you're either going to go to a bowl and that's it or you're not going to bowl and that's it that's it, right? Like, so you you don't have a lot of options, and sometimes it just becomes easy to accept the option that is easy. So, if players are are as we like to say, Chris, if there's business decisions here, you know that's bad. If they do get to a bowl and players are opting out of a bowl for a team that's six and six or seven and five, 
that's indicative of not wanting to be around. So look at that. Look at like just wanting to be in the building on the team because you want to be there when you're winning. And if you want to be there, you play hard. And if you want to be there, you're going to spend your time paying attention and you're going to have game plans down. You're going to be quickly on and off the field. You're not going to commit penalties. You're not going to let balls slip through your fingers. You're not going to muff kickoffs and punts. You're not going to fumble on a handoff or anything like that. You're, you're going to have attention detail and you're going to be in charge of your moment because it really matters to you. And if you don't care, it's going to become apparent too. And then more importantly, if a lot of those players are on the field and they make those mistakes, then you wonder about who or what has a grasp on the situation because they should know by now this person isn't paying attention. This person can't do this. This thing we want to put in the field does not work with this person, these players. So outcomes matter. Results matter. Ultimately, getting to a bowl is, is the big carrot right now. But they're going to have to find enough ways and enough people to get them there, which can be a challenge at this time of year. So if you see things that look funny, probably are funny. And if it doesn't look like it's part of a winning formula, probably not part of a winning formula. And you wonder how they got them into the mix and how they were allowed to be involved. Then if it happens once, man, can it happen twice? Can it happen three times? That's what you keep an eye on. Players, punitive actions, repercussions, whatever, but just, just things that should not be happening but tend to happen to a team that's going in a bad direction I, I like the idea of look at the scoreboard but nuance is important and and not just for the football and what's happening on the field and scores but also as far as a you see program health uh roster management um because you're going to look at the transfer portal this is not typically the time of year when guys are hitting the transfer portal and if they are it's because the team is in bad shape and there are some really hard feelings. There are certain times of the year. I mean, granted, at this point with the transfer portal, it is always open. But there are certain times of year where you see surges. You see surges right at the end of the season once the year is over. You see at the end of spring. You see right before the season once you know guys figure out where they are on the depth chart. And you see it at the four-game mark during the season. At at the eight game mark, the 10 game mark during the season, that's not as, that's a little less common. And that would make me raise an eyebrow, but it also comes with some nuance. You have to know the situations. You need to know what's going on with those guys. So make sure, you, you know, kind of figure out what's going on with them first. And I mean, that's, that's part of our job is to provide some of that information for you. But, um, that was that's something I'm also going to keep an eye on as far as, again, just a, a slightly different angle on the pay attention to the scoreboard. But nuance is important. Yeah, And you'll see this everywhere, too. Like if you're on Twitter, or you follow this stuff, too. You'll you'll see people and, and it's like a vulture culture. Like they're going to pull things that look bad, you know, and it's going to be, man, 10 people on the field for a punt. How did that happen? This 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 coach has lost control. It's the old uh, the old Mark Rick thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So. That's the, and look at uh, Washington, Jimmy Lake. Um, players getting like a dust up. That was a really competitive, feisty game. Never mind the score or what happened, but like that was a competitive, uh, tense game. There, there were some emotions there between Oregon and Washington. And on, I believe it was a kickoff or a punt return, they kind of just get into like a little bit of a fracas in the sideline. And Jimmy Lake embattled <laughs> for various reasons. He comes over and he pushes one of his players out of the way and just like smacks him. And the AD has to talk about that now because, oh, we can't, we don't condone that or whatever. But, like, if you watch it, it's a guy who's just, you know, a, a head coach of those players who's four and five 
and he comes in and he says, no, stop, pops in the shoulder pads and moves him out of the way. Listen, man, if you're a head coach and you fly in that situation, you better bring it. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to get smacked. Someone's yeah. going to throw you out of the way, right? And number one, number two, you got to mean something when you come in there, too. Like, these are coaches. Like, a lot of these guys are former players, and they get into it, you know, with their players and practice a lot. And in that moment, it's really hard to come over and be like, excuse me, sir, would you mind calming down here in this volatile moment? That's not going to work. you got to pop in and do that. Now, the trouble is he also punts from his end zone down, what, like nine with three minutes left? It ends up being a safety that goes over the punter's head. That looks really bad, too. So now, listen, is he in charge of punting and snapping? Yeah, I guess. He's also in charge of that call, but like he did not call that for the punt to go over his head and for it to backfire. But that becomes the thing where like, man, Jimmy Lake doesn't know what he's doing. Really? But those things add up and it just becomes like this ball momentum that really works against coaches. And people can really push that a long way to to work against it. But again, that doesn't look right. You know, depending on the situation, sometimes it can look really bad. It doesn't. Is it truly indicative of the moment or even the, the situation at large? Maybe not. But you, you really have to have your your. You're, everything's got to be laced up tight when you when you play these games, especially late in the season where your season can only go in one or two directions. Next question comes from Hair Raid, and I am I am quoting him here. Uh, we've been fairly lucky in regards to injuries over the course of Neil Brown's tenure. With that said, the few times we've been forced to play a backup due to injury, Mesador, Charles Woods, Bartlett, TJ Banks, they have often been extremely productive, sometimes even better than the starters. Are there any whispers or thoughts regarding this staff's evaluation when it comes to the depth chart and management of snap counts in regards to our young talent? You want to go first? Well, I when I read the question, I said, oh, here, you know, at first I thought, it, before I even got to the examples he gave, I thought, boy, here we go. We're, we're at this point of the season. These are the things, you know, it, it goes this way. When things are going bad, try to find everything bad. And then he gave a few examples. And then I thought of a couple more and I thought, well, it's a question. Um, I, I don't, I'm not questioning staff's evaluation. There are guys who are, uh, you know, better gamers than they are practice players. And how do you know if they're gamers, if they aren't practicing, you know, unless you just want to roll them out there and you just put guys out there that don't seem as good as others. So that that's possible. But those couple of examples you gave, like Akeem Mesidor wasn't going to be a starter. Now, granted, that's freshman, so you're not expecting that. But he ends up coming in and being amazing and wasn't even supposed to be really starting. Or in, I mean, I think he was supposed to be in the rotation at the start of last year. But um, tried, uh, Woods, that's a big one. You know, that was one that you knew he was good. He's an FCS All-American, but wasn't out there, wasn't getting time until injuries forced him out there. And he's been great ever since. Uh, Jackie Matthews was one I thought of uh, again, a guy that was pegged as a backup, wasn't playing much, kind of got forced into it and was great. Um, last couple games, his PFF grades have not been as good, but there was a stretch there where he was great. So I don't know if he really counts, but there are a few examples. Is that enough to really, you know, paint a broad picture of a poor evaluation here? I would also add their record on transfers as part of this, too. It's a separate variable. Started out great, by the way, and has not been as good, would Correct. you say? Correct. Oh, uh, yeah. Whiffs on a couple of them. You can't have transfers transfer. Like, yeah. does, it, does it take money out of your bank account? No, but that's just that just means your plan was wrong there, too. So 
Woods definitely gets it back on track a little bit. And that's again, that's an obtuse transfer. That's an FCS to an FBS. That's hard. Um, but that's a really good corner who's who's figured it out. Took him a while, but he's figured it out. So again, my point being that these are different things, but the evaluation exists for players who are eh, too young, not yet. It's practice, it's not a game, versus hey, did it in the FBS or did it in the FCS? Certainly can come here and do it. We'll give him a season or half a season, and then it doesn't even last sometimes too. So some of them are flyers and you can afford to do that as such they're a walk on, but some of them even those walk-ons are supposed to help, you know, or do something or maybe earn a scholarship eventually. It hasn't happened all the time. So, yeah, I would definitely look at that sometimes, too. They, I would say they have an infrastructure that should give them insight into this. They talk about this all the time. Their Monday night football program where they give young guys, you know, 20, 25 snaps and let them go. Not a new thing here, by the way, but, like, they talk about it because that's when they get to look at people. The trouble is that they're competing against fellow people who don't play very much. So I think a lot of the a lot of the headlines that come out of that are promising. And you would say, well, why doesn't that person get into the game more, or get a chance or practice elevated? Because of who that person is practicing against, it's a similar skill and a similar experience and a similar background. So um, it's it's not a pillow fight. I get that, but it's not the same. You're a you're a player with limited experience, strength, whatever, playing against someone with limited experience and strength too. So it's pretty relative and it's not an easy comparison to make to playing in the game. But one thing that I have heard is that it's hard to get off of that developmental squad once you're on it. And, you know, players may do really well because they have this, like, you're going to, you're not going to play. You're going to redshirt. You're going to develop. You might play and you're going to play like these three different canisters. And it's hard to get off of them. And I can understand that being an issue for coaches because you can only coach who you have and you got to focus on your players that you have in your room. And it's not like a free agent market where you just go down the hallway and say, Hey, can we get a corner? Can he play? And you get it to go. It's not like a, like a practice squad in the NFL, although it kind of is a little bit. But I've heard from people before that that they think it can be hard to get off of that list. Like once you're on it, it's really hard to get off. And maybe someone just having a really good year and languishes in that developmental squad and doesn't get a chance. Um, I think this is a really good question. I think it's a very fair question. And I would think you'd have to say like, wow, that's a long list of players who maybe deserve more or had earned more and we didn't know until something happened. And conversely, that's a really long list of transfers that haven't really worked out. And you go to the common denominator, it would be evaluation. It doesn't mean you have the wrong thing in place or the wrong people in place. Maybe you're doing it right. I don't know. But when you hear all that proof, you're kind of inclined to say, okay, we, we do have to take a look at this again. I don't I don't think that's an unfair critique of the situation. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think my my initial point was at first thought, this is a ridiculous question. And then now I'm in the camp of this is a reasonable question and we have to think about it. I don't know if they have a terrible evaluation. I don't believe that. Um, but it is that like that it's a discussion we have to have about some of these whiffs on that and some of these guys being backups, just like you said. Um, next question from Pharma Nate T. If you could pluck one position coach from any area era and you get that coach from that era, who would it be? And why would it be 2001 to 2006 Rick Truckett? <laughs> this sounds like he's pulling a U there. That sounds like something you would say. Yeah, they've, they've had some good offensive line coaches in recent years. That would be good. Uh, Ron Crook would be one. Um, Dave Johnson's uh, offensive coordinator. I'm trying to think of where. But he was the offensive line coach here. Maybe a little bit miscast. He'd been the, what, the tight ends coach at Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. Trick it would trick it would be a good one. I think that that would whip people up too. 
I was trying to think of different different coaches that would work, but that's that's such a popular answer. And and I think given the situation right now, that it's it's pretty difficult to to argue with that one. Do you have other answers? No, that's my first thought. I mean, I me personally, I don't know how how much is that going to change that group. Um, I do believe Rick Trick yeah, is probably point. one of the best offensive line coaches ever. So yeah, you're getting a you're getting an upgrade there, no matter who you have currently. Um, but going around, I mean, I, I, again, I think the receivers are playing pretty well right now. Running backs, okay. So I don't know, you know, if, if that's going to change much of anything. I think the issues with running back right now is basically the offensive line. And you go into position groups who are not playing well or who could play better, I guess. And I think you're essentially focused on offensive line and quarterback and i mean yeah like you said rick trickett ron crook that's a great one he, he is one heck of a offensive line coach um yeah i think it would it would have to be one of those two guys for me if you had to change one although again i just don't know how much one assistant coach change is going to be you know changing the fate of this team well, dwight wallace one him back doing some quarterbacks in the major era there you go jake spavadol yeah Trying to think of some other positions here that would be, you know, worth it. That would be, I don't know, that would, where, where's an upgrade? Like, what, I'm sure a lot of people pine for Lonnie Galloway, but. What, what'd you say, Mike? Did did you just, did you just suggest that Dana Holgerson should return? Did <laughs> did we clip that? Somebody clip that? I would, I would think a couple that would be interesting would be like, you know, Doc Holliday. But you're talking a guy who was like, what, tight end? I think he was tight ends, fullbacks. He was basically yeah. too, but. That that I mean you're not really knocking Trickett out of the way or Parker he was a receivers coach for a long time Galloway I don't know Cider running back could be an interesting one I think that one's probably probably has people's attention just because of what has and hasn't happened and Calvin McGee was really good for a while would that qualify mm-hmm. what was the parameters no I think that, that there were none it just had it was you're getting the coach from when they were at WVU. So you like you know we're not getting you know Rick Trickett now we're getting Rick Trickett from 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was it. But McGee being an interesting one, yeah, because he really knew how to coach that zone. Um, offensive coordinator, I guess too, but good running backs. But that might be an interesting one. That's a good question. Um, and again, not a not a long list of where they have needs. I don't think uh, corner. Some good cornerback coaches for the years too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. Doug Bell could be a really good one to have back. Yeah. Like that guy's going to be a head coach before long. So that wouldn't be a bad one to have. Good question. A lot of answers. Um, but probably the one I think most people would pick would be Tricker for sure. I, I think I was about to be done, but then I just saw this as the next one uh, that was asked in the thread from Carp77. And I have to get your thoughts on this. Um, can anyone verify if Dan Orlowski was doing play by play for our game with a concussion? Because I could have sworn he said. WVU had the, quote, best offensive line in the Big 12 during the broadcast. Can't confirm. He said that multiple times. And, I, you know, you've talked about this before. These announcers do a day before, I guess, or the day of uh, meeting with the coaches. And it was Gundy who planted that. Yeah. Was this the ultimate... What, am I using this term wrong? Is this the ultimate gaslight from from Gundy here? 
pumping up pumping up this offensive line so it makes it seem like his team was that much better like just dominated the best offensive line when West Virginia might have the eighth or ninth best offensive I mean, Kansas is still worse I know some people are like hey West Virginia's is the worst uh, Kansas is still the worst but West Virginia's is somewhere but in that seventh to ninth range so I don't know where best came from I mean I know where it came from I came from yeah. Mike Gundy but Jesus Pisa. So, um, you, you did the fresh set when I was gone. It's hanging in the lube right now. Did you see that? <laughs> Masterpiece. Um, uh-huh. The second long feature is always just kind of something that you take out a little bit more space on because it interests you or it might be important. And I chose to do mine on the battle of handling success. Could they handle success? And I think Mike Gundy really wanted to see if West Virginia can handle success and, and the vapors, so to speak. And he really talked them up about, I don't know how we're going to move the ball against their defense and, uh, running back just runs through people, and this is the best offensive line in the Big 12 right now. And what was funny about me is he he opens up and he has this list of superlatives about West Virginia and doesn't mention the offensive line. And then like three, four minutes later, it's like he got zapped. <laughs> and Oh, yeah, by the way, the offensive line is amazing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like it's not, okay? Obviously, gave up eight sacks. No FBS team has given up more this year in a game. So that's not the best offensive line in the Big 12. I think that that was one of those things where maybe he had a team that is playing really well and is near the end of a special season. And, and he knows that he can beat Oklahoma this year. He knows that because his offense is whatever, but his defense is that good. He's just got to get there. And then, man, if one or two funny things happens in front of him, he's he's there. He's in the one or two spot. And guess what? Baylor wins or Baylor loses. So now, went out and you're in the championship. That's fine. And they had the head-to-head anyway, so... You don't have to worry about Baylor not provided you don't lose, and they don't intend to lose. Schedule's pretty good. So you're playing a team that you've had their number, you're on a roll, and you can see the finish line. What do you do? You really change the picture, and he made West Virginia look like the big bad. Here's a team that's won two in a row, got a great offensive line, has some of the best skill talent in the Big 12. Defense stops everybody, and that's a challenge to your team, and that's good coaching because that's a guy who's 33-27 and in November before Saturday. So – he learned a little thing or two, and, and I think that really worked, too. As for Dan Orlovsky, I don't know. Um, have I mentioned before that I watch the games on mute? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, and let me – I don't want this to be a knock on Dan Orlovsky because, one, it is – to know everything about one team is hard. To know everything – and when you follow one team, like you and I do, when we cover one team, we also need to know – as much as possible about the opponents that takes up a lot of time as well. And then you're asking these guys, these announcers and some of these national writers that you see for some of these sites to not only be an expert on one team, but one conference, but an entire freaking country of teams that's impossible. So they have to essentially take the word of what they're told from people they trust. And so I think he just kind of, took the word from Mike Gundy and said, okay, and went with it. <laughs> and it was perfect little, uh, I don't want to say Mike Gundy used him, but he used him. And and by the way, on Orlovsky, he is like ESPN's number one NFL guy when it comes yeah. to in-studio stuff and breaking down plays and knowing the league too. So like, Never mind how hard it is to know the college teams you're covering. I mean, he's not an expert on the college game right now too. Uh, expert, let me say he obviously is, um, but it's really hard to put all that stuff on his plate. And for him, I would imagine 
he left the studio like on a Friday after doing NFL Live or something like that and headed to Morgantown. That's and he's just cramming tape and fitting in a Zoom with the coaches or whatever and doing what he can. So that's hard to do, but that's a bold claim to make right there too. Um, I, I'm I'm interested in that because the other thing I heard too is that he continually said that Daggy had open receivers, and I'm not gonna lie to you, like. I would see someone pop open, but I would look down and he would be getting swallowed by a defensive lineman or getting chased by somebody. And I just don't know how true that is. And like the, the TV footage that I've seen isn't great. And hey, you can do the all 22 on the replay and show, oh, this guy's wide open. But like you've got to understand that day he was seeing ghosts and hearing footprints, footprints and, and had to bail on some of these plays. Be really curious about an honest evaluation of how many times he screwed up and took the sack versus how many times that the offensive line screwed up and handed him the sack. Because I just I just don't believe they had the time to get things open there. And I know that like you saw his PFF number for time to sack. It was like two point seven seven seconds. That's really good. Yeah. I felt like he was getting chased down on some sacks and he was trying to get out of danger, maybe earlier than he had to, and he maybe walked into some stuff too, but I, I just felt like he never had a comfortable pocket back there and that they just kept saying, we're going to send four and five at you. There's no way you're blocking this. Good luck throwing a 20-yard pass. They threw one 20-yard pass. It was a third play from scrimmage. How many plays do you think they dialed up to go 20 yards? Way yeah. more than one, right? I remember you. Open. We were talking. you were talking about that on postgame, about how it, it seemed like you know this that was their plan to throw deep. And I think I had stat broadcast up, and they don't do 20-plus. They did 15-plus. And said they had only attempted two of fifteen plus. So the one twenty plus makes sense. And I was just like, wow, they like you said, one pass over twenty yards, but probably fifty routes over twenty yards for the day. That's wild. Um, God, I I was really excited to end the podcast with you defending Randy Edsel's main QB. That was really good. I like that. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that I talked to Orlovsky once. I'm pretty sure. But I also know that I talked to Johnny McEntee, who's gone on to have a very unusual life, because he was the trick shot quarterback there. Uh-huh. Um, and then I remember in Morgantown, the Fogarty brothers were really good high school players who went to UConn and played. Um, so my, my point is I have an affinity for all things UConn. <laughs> now, I think you have an affinity for anybody that can put up with Randy Edsel and come out okay on the other side. It's earned, not yes. not given. Uh, uh, anything yeah. else you wanted to cover from that well, from the from the questions? Well, no, just speaking of uh, Connecticut, mm. former UConn head coach Paul Pasqualoni is back in the college game of Florida. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah, I saw it. Uh, they fired Grantham and and a couple other guys down there for the Gators um, after that aforementioned game against South Carolina. Todd Grantham, free agent. Didn't he get linked to a? a oh yeah. DC job here. Yeah. That I was when like that. Jordan Leslie was moving houses. Like, from oh, one big that's house to right. <laughs> I it's I got messaged by somebody in Gainesville and was like, hey, uh, West Virginia looking for a DC? I said, what? I said, isn't your guy still on uh, in contracts? Like, yeah, but, you know, I think everybody kind of doesn't want him to be. Oh, man. I, I think West Virginia dodged a bullet there, I guess. New coach at Texas Tech, Joey McGuire. What do you think? Uh, I, I'm going to, um, you know, yield the floor to some other people that, that know more about that. And I like this quote and I'm going to go look for it. It was one of our Texas tech guys who said exact opposite of what Matt Wells was Matt Wells proven, you know, head coach, but had no ties to Texas, unable to recruit. McGuire has all of the ties in Texas can recruit as well as anybody in 
I think if you're going to be out there in in Lubbock, that that's something you need. You need to be able to pull uh, some in-state talent, even if you are further away from most of it, and and let the coaching kind of come after that. Uh, I, I I know people, God, there's going to be people very upset about that, but I think if he can pull in the right players, that's a really good hire for them. Yeah, um, CEO type, big time personality. Coaches love that guy that that are in high school down there. Um, or also that just coaching there and you, you run into him at conventions, that's a guy that you always make time for is what I've heard about him for a long time. That, And if, if someone was willing to give him a chance to be a head coach, because you come from high school and, and you've had his career, it could be hard to get that job. It really can be. And and you look at high school coaches who have gotten college jobs that haven't done very well. So he must have a heck of a plan, and I don't doubt that he does, but to get like a super staff and to just blanket the state and get the, the coaches there that that can recruit and develop and maintain. So it's a roll of the dice there by a coach who's who who had his work cut out for him too. And then the other the other big one, I know people tune in for our coaching carousel highlights, but Matt Campbell and TCU, that's not going away. Oh God. Oh God. One, I think that would be fantastic for TCU. Like Matt Campbell recruiting in, in Dallas Fort Worth. That that could be dangerous um too god that would imagine your iowa state like what that would do to you as a program that a a, a coach would just leave leave there while having success you know no other no other issues it's not a money thing it's not uh issues with the athletic department just simply making what would be viewed as a lateral at best kind of move in conference on what planet, though, is that a lateral move? It's not in in the world of, I guess, you know, Twitter or something, because it's not. I you you take TCU over Iowa State any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Does sound like that the the what's the the word about the the saying about the rose the the bloom is falling off the rose on Sunny Dykes? <laughs> is that the phrase? I don't know. Lost to Memphis. That was a bad one. And then I guess that's him. He's going to throw a ton of money at him, and and kind of hope that things shake out for the. Mustangs in, in in realignment, but I mean they're talking about making him like the number two power five paid head coach, number two salary among power five head coaches. Because I think people don't think that Shoot. Fickle's gonna stay at Cincinnati very long. So you're talking Fickle, Dykes, Holgerson. And that's one of the schools that can do it too. So I mean, maybe that'd be that'd be a heck of a story if all of a sudden Campbell ends up in the Big Twelve at TC with all those resources there too. But that one I don't know, that one popped up and hasn't been Hasn't been blown off the map by anybody yet by saying, absolutely not. This isn't true. So we'll see. Oh, boy. I, I, I haven't even really got to that season yet. So strap in. I, it, one, I'm just glad it's not us because I don't want to cover a coaching search. Hey, I think I think we made out pretty well that that last coaching search lasted, what, four days, five days? Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you, you know, we always see those guys like our – our poor Tennessee guys that were having a new coaching search every 18 months, then each one lasted a, an entire month and they've had like four of them in the last 10 years. So I'm Paul okay Pasquale with not doing that. 72 by the way. And he was the special assistant to the head coach. And now he's going to be on the active staff at Florida. Love so it. things aren't going well. They don't look right. Eh, it's kind of what I'm talking about. Anything else? No, that's it. We'll we'll have the usual stuff up this week, but also basketball, baby. Basketball. It is basketball season. It is 
my least favorite time of year, most favorite time at the same time, you know, overlapping uh, basketball, football. Uh, we got what four things of basketball this week? Yeah, two, yeah, two games and two uh, press events, which does not happen coach. usually. Like they'll have one today, one Tuesday, or, or a game Tuesday, one Thursday, and a game Friday, and typically. One today, game Tuesday, and that's your that's your content to preview the game on Friday. But I wonder if Huggins wants to just like figure this out as he goes along too. Like maybe the more questions he asks, the more he figures out his team. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with these guys. Guys made shots, but defense I, sucks. I as, as soon as I saw it was it was two press events, I assumed it was on Zoom because Hugs. I mean, we saw it all last year. He was glad to do press events as long as it was on Zoom. He'll hop on anytime, but, but the no. many appearances of Bob Huggins slim in one picture um, <laughs> looks good. Also bifocals. Yeah. In another. I, I still miss the, uh, I, 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 nothing will ever top me for me. The, was it the, the Chris Christopherson look, uh, from oh. a couple years ago where he showed up at an event in, I think it was in Myrtle beach. And he was about as tanned slash slightly burnt as he's probably ever been in his entire life. Uh, and had a, a and it just really accentuated the the white uh, goatee I think he had going at the same time and the slick back hair and and like I said it just reminded me of a, a Chris Christopherson I think was the look yeah that's who it is and he's got his look back too I don't think coaches will be wearing that pullover uh, COVID plus one outfit anymore either so he'll be he'll be <laughs> unique he'll be the unicorn once again there we go. Well, I'm sure I'll ask him about that when I see him today. What do you have up your sleeve for sideline appearances, Bob? And then that'll be my first and last question of the day. Until then, I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.